one of the things that I think is really important here is this wasn't just about Robbie. This was it. It took a village to mm, raise, yeah. Yeah. nurture, and then cover up for Robbie Zacharias. This right. is about the system that enabled him. This is about celebrity fetish that the evangelical world has, and that the leaders play on. Friends, we have quite a show for you today. It's a heavy topic. You may not hear it in my voice, or, or, or maybe in the voice of our guest, Steve Boffman, or, or Stacy's voice, because this is not a new topic for us. This Ravi Zacharias scandal has been unfolding for a long time. If you hear any relief in our voices, it's that for most of that time, people have been reluctant to pay any attention to pretty obvious evidence. And... It's not uncommon that that sort of thing happens. Well, and this whole scandal is basically the culmination of all of these landmines that we've been talking about, all of these ways that, you know, people, you know, either are getting exploited, that, I don't know, that the, the sickness that is in within the, the whole structure sometimes of the, as we say, like the business part of Christianity. And, and the I, institution, the, the club the organizational side of it, but also these cults of personality. Yeah, and I and and this whole thing is so much bigger, as we mentioned in the podcast, it's so much bigger than just one individual. It is it shows this the the signs of a sickness in Christianity. And as much as you might hear some laughter or something in my voice during the interview, in fact I I ended up you know, I pulled you aside and I just, I, I cried it out. Cause yeah, I was after like, after our interview, you cried cause you I, I did. Just had to kind of think about and, the emotions behind this. Well, the thing, the thing that frustrates me so much is that I just, you know, it, it's like, as if these people, you know, they just pay, play, you know, fast and loose with Christianity. It's as if I, you know, it, you start to feel like they don't believe what they're saying or they wouldn't be doing this or they're they're yeah. definitely it's so cynical and it it just it made me feel like i'm like if, if this is the kind of things that christians do i don't want to be called a christian i don't yeah. want to be associated with this this is to me they are stealing what it is to be a christian throwing that logo on top of whatever shenanigans that they're doing and mm. it is sick and it is Evil. evil and they are stealing people's innocence yes. their joy and the people that the people that suffer the most are just these innocent people that are literally just trying to figure out their faith and their spirituality they're trusting these people that they say that they're men of god and that's leaders, where you go when leaders you're of god that's where you go to yeah. and you turn this into an opportunity to take advantage for your own sick pleasure yeah like what is that and then you use then you use the guise of a nonprofit, a religious organization, to help get people through immigration so that you can have, like, you know, people that are your servants. I mean, this is the definition of everything that we would say is loathsome yes. in human encounters with one another. Yeah. So, for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, the Ravi Zacharias scandal and all the stuff that's coming to light, let me just read just a little piece of this Christianity Today article that came out just a few days ago. A four-month investigation found the late 
Ravi Zacharias leveraged his reputation as a world-famous Christian apologist to abuse massage therapists in the United States and abroad over more than a decade while the ministry led by his family members and loyal allies failed to hold him accountable. He used his need for massage and frequent overseas travel to hide his abusive behavior, luring victims by building trust through spiritual conversations and offering funds straight from his ministry. A 12-page report released Thursday by Ravi Zacharias International Ministries confirms abuse by Zacharias at day spas he owned in Atlanta and uncovers five additional victims in the U.S., as well as evidence of sexual abuse in Thailand, India, and Malaysia. And this is not even all of it. No, that's just the beginning of the article from Christianity Today. And can I say, do you know what's the extra part of this? If you read the comments on YouTube videos that expose what Ravi Zacharias was up to for the last few years. You read tweets about stories. You read the news stories. You hear about threats to people and, um, and very cruel words said to people who are simply reporting what's in reports. Right. Published by people Literally just who don't really want those things to be the, true. Speaking you the know. truth. Speaking the truth of what Ravi has and, been and up to. And what is it? All of the worst knee-jerk responses by people that are revealing a sickness that almost we, your dear friends at Protect Your Noggin, can't really fathom. I mean, so at once this again, point... You're turning on sometimes even the victims themselves? Yes. In the aftermath of all of that? Yes. And our dear author here that we speak to today, he was getting the same thing just... And it's not even... He had no personal connection with Ravi and like... For, you know, like it wasn't like an, uh, an offense. A that, yeah, no, or he anything. just was researching he just, and realized and this realized, guy had academic fraud all over him. He Yes, he lied about so many different things. He was simply bringing this to light to the proper leadership and authorities uh, within the ministry, and they didn't want to do anything about it. They brushed it aside. This was back in, what, 2018? All of this he started stuff, the research in 2015. Right. Then there's Lorianne Thompson, who... She was somebody who's been very vocal about the fact that she was a victim of his Ravi Zacharias's sick ways. She was pressured into a non-disclosure agreement. She she was groomed. People by knew him. that this was true, and people said, "Well, we can't know the full facts." Well, you could. He broke the non-disclosure <laughs> agreement, but because he's fin- backed financially by you know some powerful people, as this whole story reveals, she she can't she can't talk, but he's he's. Talking, doing what he He's wants. He's getting paid to, to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the other part, though, I was going to say. Uh, there's an article that came out uh, today, and it is um, it is exactly the, the right sentiment. The article uh, is on the Re- Religion News Service. I'll link to it. Um, the, the title of the opinion piece, Ministry Leaders Rush to Empathize with Ravi Zacharias is Beyond Alarming. You think? It's it's yes. not just these kind of clowns that are that are trolls online and they're, they're going to be saying all these all these things. I don't even want to. I'm not even going to read them. I was going to read them and I don't I don't want to read them. But these are these are worth checking out because when you when you see these these responses online, you can see in real time what's going on uh, behind all of what we've been talking about, especially as you say the first season. Uh, I'm sorry, and the, the article is by Kyle Howard, who's a public theologian and 
uh, calls himself a trauma-informed soul care provider. But, uh, but goodness, what are we seeing? Well, we've definitely talked a lot about trauma on this show, but what are some of the other things that this kind of illustrates about stuff we've talked about in, in previous shows? Yeah, one of the big ones is system justification theory, which we go into quite a bit of detail in uh, season one, episode two, uh, in the episode titled Discernment, Judgment, and Why People Sometimes Don't Report Abuse. Yeah. That's a big one uh, for that. And also, the other thing, too, along with that, is the disregard of evidence period yeah. that when people do come forward and then authorities or other people in leadership, they just they just disregard. Just don't care. They this don't season in season three, we've been exploring this idea that we're, we're drawing in many ways from the Tao Te Ching, this idea that the problem of human knowing, epistemology is the term for that in philosophy, the epistemological problem isn't so much finding out what's true, but facing what's true. I think that's, that's borne out in this story as well. People simply refusing to face pretty clear evidence. Yeah, and, and then and kind of going along with that too is also the reliance on authority. Yeah, just that over, uh, over, overplayed attention to the authority figures, these anointed people, these people that we kind of idolize. And, you know, the evangelical world, the Christian world kind of has a way of, of creating these celebrities, but they're really buoyed up, not by debates, in the actual public square, not by actually being public intellectuals, but kind of preaching to the choir and making us feel like we're smugly better than everybody and they're, else. And they're charismatic personalities. Yeah. People people like when they talk to, to some of these folks, you know, that yeah. kind of get caught up in all of this. And, one, you know, one of Ravi's tactics seemed to always be one... If you say anything, I'm going to kill myself, or you're going to, or they, or victims have been told that if you say anything, there's going to be a lot of people that will go to hell because yeah. Ravi, you know, won't be able to, yeah. you know, save them. And then the another whole aspect of this is money. Yeah. You know, we we bring this. Uh, Steve talks about this a little bit in our in the episode as well of just so many people that once this once this whole RZIM becomes this big thing, there's a lot of people that have jobs from it, right? And I get it. This is like really close to home because if you're an intellectual in this religious world, you really don't have that many options besides being a professor. Colleges are closing. Two Concordias, I'm at a Concordia, two Concordias, one in Portland, one in New York, have recently started to, you know, close the doors. And, and it's so not when, easy you know, to build a ministry that has... No. All of this following, you know, yeah. and when you when you have to walk away from it because the personality that it's been built on, yeah, is you know evil. That's why, friends. Yeah, we've said like it's really don't hard do that. Them. Yeah, don't, don't really trust something that has somebody's and name, name in it. it. And, and if you've got that, don't be sad. At, don't be mad mm. or sad at us. Go ahead and change. Go ahead and change your ministry from fill in your name ministries to the nature of your mission. <laughs> the only reason that Ravi Zacharias is making all of this news is because he's famous. But yeah. what about the people who act in these ways all around the world? They're just not famous enough to make Christianity today. They're just That's the, the, point. the local gossip. This thing is, this whole problem is bigger than just Ravi. And, and we're not trying to just dig up all the dirt on no. Ravi. What we're, we're trying to say is that this is this is very typical. Yeah. Yes, he, he died last spring. Yeah. But it's very typical of the way that these predators prey on these Christian folks. The low-hanging fruit. It's not just the abuse victims. It's the people that can be duped. And so, if you were duped, we don't 
we don't uh, have no ill shame will in to that. you. There's you know, no it's just, shame in that. You know, uh, you should have known better. We've been, you know, we've been given some evidence. I mean, th- th- there is a sense, of, and I mean, there are some people that that should be held to account for for facilitating this bozo. Oh, absolutely. But I'm saying, if you, up until today, up until this week, you were still saying, I, I really want to believe that he oh, didn't do this, I, I, I understand because this is probably something that's so close to your heart. Maybe you were lost and maybe your your world was upside down and you were in darkness and then you thought you couldn't have any hope but then Ravi Zacharias comes along and he shows you arguments that seem very compelling and now you believe in something again and it changes your life. He gave you that hope. Maybe you met your spouse at a conference that invited him out. Maybe, maybe your whole edifice of life, your worldview, the, the people you know, where you go to church, your best friends, it's all tied into this gross guy and it's really hard to admit that. Yeah. It's hard for all of us to admit it and and it happens in pop music, it, ha- it happens all, all over the world. But I don't care that much about our feelings right now. Right. I care about the pattern that's going to continue unless we get the guts to face our embarrassment in having put up with this for so long and change the way we think so that we can protect our noggins, so that we can protect the literal and physical well-being of young people, people in vulnerable positions, old people, everybody. There are people that are hurting because of these predatory wolves and when we say we want to outfox them, we're not saying this because it's a fun little game. We're saying we're boldly outfoxing them. That's why we like the fox metaphor, right? Like it's we're not scared all the time. But make no mistake, this is dangerous. It's a time for reckoning, yeah, for ourselves and 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 just an honest assessment. Yeah, and then another thing. This <laughs> there's so many points that this whole this whole scandal like it it hits and and. Even more is devastating people's lives because of moral injury and their trust in the entire moral universe is yeah. at stake. And we, we discussed some of like with more about moral injury on season two, episode 21. If you aren't familiar with what that is, you want a longer explanation. Moral injury happens when you either witness some kind of breach in the moral fabric of the world or you yourself are forced into a situation where you don't really have a, an ethical way out. So in this case... This is an example of a person who has this sense of at least a contentment that there is goodness, truth, and beauty on the lips of some, that there is a desire for for healing the world and for bringing people to new life and, and awareness. When you get this level of cynicism and you get this level of kind of gangster behavior, it makes you think that the whole thing is just some kind of Ponzi scheme, yes. some kind of scam, that's, and that's and why, that, and that there is no meaning. You, that's you become why I like was a crying. Yeah. yeah, that's why I was crying because I was like, I you lose your footing. Yeah, and and, and so that like, shatters all of your moral compass. Yeah, you know, for the people that have to wrestle with this, it's like, what? Where is there? Which way is up? Where is there good people? Where yeah. is there a true Christian? Where? Is, does Christianity have any value or are we just propping up something that will just continue to hurt people over and over and over again, you know? And that's where my own conscience yeah. and moral injury mm. is involved because this isn't the point. Christianity is the opposite of all of this, Yeah, but it is being stolen. It is being stolen and it that 
kills me. Mm-hmm. It breaks my heart. Yeah. Ugh. And then yeah. another another whole thing too is um, the whole idea when you mentioned about the people gathering around saying, you know, oh, let's you know, let's let's forgive. You know our our brother yeah. Ravi Zacharias. This, the, the weaponization of forgiveness. Yes, and that we talk about when forgiveness gets weaponized on season one, episode fifteen. If you want to learn more about that, and it's you know it's it's also that forgiveness without properly dealing with the problem. It's like when right. we put we slap on forgiveness and say we just need to forgive and move past this. Now we can keep going about but, our business. But then it doesn't. It, it doesn't fix anything, yeah. you know. It doesn't actually get to where the real work that needs to be done. So, friends, you want to you wanna help think about things and analyze them so that we can learn how to fix them? Join us. Uh, and I'm sorry if you're hearing, like, that frustration and yep. anger in my voice. It's because I am angry. I am frustrated. I am. I am. You're kind of at your wit's end with I'm this. I'm so. Like we, it we, devastates we, me. We it, do a podcast where we're trying to help people kind you, of navigate this, but maybe you just want to burn the temple it's down. Like, it's when. It's when you kind of like get a, you get a glimpse and of Luke. the the depth of the sickness and it yeah. and it just destroys you anyway so but here's the thing about our guest the circumstances aren't delightful no. but i've always wanted to meet Steve Boffman, because I always admired how he had these eclectic interests that kind of intersected with some of mine. Up until recently, he's had long hair, he plays guitar and banjo, and he uh, is interested in philosophy. He's a student at the, at the uh, Berkeley Graduate Student Union. Um, he's an atheist, uh, but he's a, he's a guy who seems to really care about people who are hurting, and, and for that, we're so grateful, and also for his coming on the show. So, here we go. All ahead, one third. Time by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons in outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects, so make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the Crisis Text Line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. Now, you just take a deep breath, because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along, because we got this. You know, I I spend a lot of time talking about the history of religion, and in the contemporary scene, I've I've been actually following your your work with with keen interest, specifically the the strange phenomenon where you give this great gift to the evangelical church, and it doesn't seem like they said thank you. (laughs) Specifically, I'd say yours is probably my favorite three three out of five star book on Amazon. And and I say that not to uh, not to poke you, but to to kind of reflect on the difficulty of being that critical voice, that constructive critical voice in a world that doesn't actually really want to sometimes investigate those those facts. You know, 
Um, and really quick for our yeah. audience, the, the book is called Cover Up in the Kingdom, Phone Sex, Lies, and God's Great Apologist, Ravi Zacharias. That came out in 2018. Yeah, if I recall correctly, yes. <laughs> we we got it uh, on Kindle as soon as we could. We devoured it, and then you know um, there was nothing else to binge. And I was thinking, now I just got to get try to trick Steve into just writing more of this sort of thing with different <laughs> you know <laughs> cast of characters. But I had no idea, and maybe you didn't, how much deeper this story would go. So you know, I yeah. I was. Uh, uh, I've been told various things on and off over the years and sworn to secrecy. And that's one of the most frustrating things about this mm. is watching Mr. Zacharias continue to be worshipped when I knew what was going on in the background, mm. at least a lot of it, and um, and couldn't talk about it. So it's really gratifying to have the religious press at long last um, taking up the, uh, the the responsibility of going and actually doing some investigative work on one of the most influential evangelists um, of, of this century. Yeah. So, but they didn't do it very well for a long time. So it's, it's really nice to see it happening now. Unfortunately, <laughs> it, took, it took a sex scandal and a massage spa um, scandal to get them really interested in digging, but hey, I'll take it. <laughs> you know? Well, let's, let's touch on that for a second because I think it's it's very important that we think about the ways in which what you really were able to focus on in your book was was incredibly relevant, but people didn't see the I don't think they saw the concrete implications. Let me tell you from my perspective, I ironically, um, one of the places that that Ravi mentions is Wycliffe Hall, Oxford. When I went to Oxford, I was stupid enough to not realize that um, when you're when you're doing a doctoral program, you can pick any college whatsoever. And I happened to pick the uh, the school, the Wycliffe Hall, which is a hall of U the Oxford University system. It's a permanent private hall because uh, Alistair McGrath, who was who was there at the time, that's where he was. So I thought I had to be at the same place, and I didn't. And so I didn't really realize it was more of a kind of more of a seminary than than some of the other schools. When we were there, there would be a lot of organizations. You know, they they would come and they would. They would kind of hustle a retreat. They would house it at a uh, at a a college in Oxford, and then they would say it's the it could be like the banjo the banjo training center Institute of Oxford because Oxford is a city, right? It's not a university. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that would go around there that was pretty fishy, and um, and yet uh, I think what what shows up is. I was getting really nervous as this this was kind of getting really close to home until you then contacted the University of Oxford and Wycliffe Hall. What did you find uh, when you investigated the claims? How did how did you go about that journalistically? Um, it wasn't all that hard. It just took a lot of emailing. But um, the, the the first thing is the first thing I did was I investigated Ravi's claim about being a uh, visiting scholar at Cambridge. Um, he claimed widely to be. Um, Cambridge educated, and he claimed in his autobiography to have been invited to the University of Cambridge to be a visiting scholar there. And I couldn't get a straight answer out of RZIM. And uh, so I spent probably a month or so emailing back and forth with various people. And finally, Cambridge confirmed that whatever the heck Ravi did at Ridley Hall, where he was, which is a church training school in the town of Cambridge. Ridley um, Hall, by the way, Ridley Hall is like the Wycliffe Hall. They're the similar kind of um, schools. Yeah. 
Yes, except there's a big difference. Wycliffe Hall really is a part of the University of Oxford. Right. Ridley Hall is oh, it's not even, nothing. Yeah. It, it is not part of the University of Cambridge. So, And this is where it was really misleading on Ravi's part, was that he said that he was a visiting scholar at the University of Cambridge, and he made a huge deal out of this. Um, in his speeches. I mean, you can go through YouTube videos and you see countless times of him, countless references where he says, when I was at Cambridge, I studied at Cambridge. I studied under the world's greatest philosophers at Cambridge. So-and-so is my professor of quantum physics, on and on and on. You never hear him mentioning the unheard of Ridley Hall. He talks about Cambridge. Right. And he said it was a visiting scholar there. So I confirmed with uh, with Cambridge that whatever he did at Ridley Hall wouldn't have made him a visiting scholar at Cambridge. So, and I, and I, I really was naive enough back then, that would have been May or June of 2015. And I was naive enough, even though I'm a religious skeptic, I'm an atheist, I still had a lot of respect for evangelicals as people and as institutions. A lot of that has changed over the past five years. But back then I thought, hey, here's your guy, Here's proof that Ravi has been mis misleading people about Cambridge. I expected massive reform uh, right there. I expected they instead they dug their heels in and they issued misleading press statements to cover up for his lies about Cambridge. And that really got me irritated. And more importantly, it got me really suspicious. So the next thing I did was I thought, well, what about this professor at Oxford thing? Right. Because. Now, it turns out that Ravi really had been an honorary um, senior research fellow at Wycliffe Hall, which is a part of the University of Oxford. It's the church schools, you know, it's sort of like an right. affirmative action for a church school. Okay, we're at God save the queen. We got to have a, a church school. In okay. <laughs> you got it. You got <laughs> it. <laughs> part of Oxford. Thanks. You know, sort of like, but um, anyway, and, and he did have a senior research fellow uh, title there, but he rarely disclosed that it was honorary. He specifically told Apologetics 315 blog that that's a credential he uses in the academy. Um, so it sounded pretty impressive. He dropped it all over the place. And he actually came out and said, I am a professor at Oxford. And yeah. this was at his website for several years. Utter nonsense. Ravi never had any formal teaching position whatsoever or any kind of position at the University of Oxford. What he did was he started his own apologetic school that worked with the with Wycliffe Hall, and he would go there a few times a, a, a year to teach, and he piggybacked that into being a professor at Oxford. This is all ultra sleazy. If 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 someone had done that in my atheistic academic world, they would get reprimanded. Their book contracts would be canceled. Their book tour they would be on the outs and a lot of people would be really, really upset with them basically giving the middle finger to a system, an honor system that you do not lie about your credentials. It's mm. unfair to those of us who really are professors at Oxford. Um, and so, but uh, nothing changed. They stopped claiming the, that he was a professor, but there was no apology uh, on, on that line. And this was really suspicious to me. So I just kept digging. And um, the rest is history. We now know that um, what an what a absolute scoundrel the gentleman was, mm. uh, sexually, financially, um, and in terms of just ripping people off about his credentials. I mean, he used those phony credentials in his books. You can see him on his book jackets. He called himself doctor everywhere. Um, he was just out of control with the deceptions. And 
it's very gratifying that we now all, we now all know that, and there's no no question about it anymore. Now, I mentioned having that hit close to home, not so much to just talk about myself, but to say, I didn't. I will confess, I didn't take the importance of your book seriously enough as a bigger issue. I was almost kind of self-censoring in the sense that I thought, is this just a case of me being a snob? You know, because this happens to academics, right? Well, this guy, he has a lower tier, you know, university uh, terminal degree or, you know, just maybe he misunderstands the system. And am I being, um, you know, overly sensitive to all this? And I'm not there at all anymore. What I'm What I'm getting at is there is arguably a very important tie-in between academic fraud, I know it sounds odd to some perhaps, and sexual abuse. That the same, you know, the, the same kind of personality, the same kind of lack of integrity should be alarming to a ministry or something because it shows something about the character of the guy. Absolutely. A man who will lie about his who cares about his reputation that much to lie from an early age about his academic credentials, cares about his reputation enough to lie about his sexual dalliances. Um, a man who shows no regard for the rules of his religion um, in so many other ways is not very likely to show regard for the rules of his religion when it comes to sexual, uh, sexual uh, conduct outside of marriage. Ravi really lived like there was a separate set of rules for him. Um, financially, um, in terms of his credentials, in terms of how he presented his stories. I mean, his, his books are so full of fabricated stories. I could go on and on about those. Um, but then also with the sexual stuff, there were rules for him that didn't, I mean, you know, he traveled the world talking about um, railing against atheist morality and sexual impropriety and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. When he was you know, h- hanging out with women at his two apartments in Bangkok and then lying about it um, uh, widely. It was just astonishing. But, you know, one of the things that I think is really important here is this wasn't just about Ravi. This was it. It took a village to hmm. raise, yeah. nurture and then cover up for Ravi Zacharias. And it was a big village, and it's a village that was made up of very, very prominent people in evangelical leadership in the U.S. and Canada and Britain. Um, It still baffles me that after lying about his credentials from the early 1980s, it wasn't till 2015 that someone finally spoke out publicly and said, Ravi's lying about his credentials. You know who that was? It wasn't a Christian. It wasn't one of his colleagues from Cambridge and Oxford who traveled the world talking about Jesus and truth. It was me. Yeah. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying it wasn't that hard to figure out that he had lied about his credentials. And why on earth did the evangelical world not talk about this? I mean, you tell me. Go ahead, Steve. Well, no, well, one thing I want to <laughs> back up for a second, because um, you mentioned about the 80s and I know that when we were in England, it was in the late 90s, and it was right when the internet was, you know, getting, you know, more and more popular in order when Jeff was studying in, in Oxford and I was still back in the States, I had to go to a neighbor's house to write an email to him to communicate because my parents didn't have, you know, the the computer and the internet and stuff. And then even when we had our son and and we were living out there, like their computer system and everything was way even behind what we did for records here in the in States. England. In England. Yeah. yeah. And so 
Part Everything of, was paper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think part, I mean, part of it is to, I guess, maybe even start some years with, you know, the a little bit harder <laughs> to really dive into some of this stuff, you know, that was, it became easier, I think, to, you know, track all this down and, and, email the right people and figure out who you need to talk to, not to excuse it whatsoever, because it's totally inexcusable. But, but that's I, why they felt they could get away with it. But I think the pattern started, you know, when it was harder to track a little bit of this down. Um, and then and then you kind of you get emboldened, I think, when you get away with stuff for so long. Right. And then and nobody checks your footnotes. You know, uh, did you ever hear of this guy, Steve, this guy, uh, Mike Warnke? Have you heard of this? Oh yeah, I, I yeah, used yeah. to love his his ex Satanist comedy routine. And oh, you know it? Days. I just loved him. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> but like, here's a guy. You're just going from church camp to church camp, and your and your your fables get more and more out of control. I I think you're so on on onto something there, with the idea that it is the evangelical, the ethos and the lack of attention to to evidence, even though they're saying, look look at the evidence demands a verdict. That is the the irony of all. That. You combine that with money, yeah. and you know that's the other piece. Well, that's the answer to your question. Well, Be- you, you, you know, know this, right? Yeah, well, I, the, the answer to your question of why would why would they not do anything about it? Well, you didn't well, have the same. Uh, you didn't have as much at stake as some of his other guys. There's an industry of apologetics, right? And and I'm sorry, it's Stacy, right? Not Stacy. Yeah, sorry, she's, yeah. Sorry, yes. so, <laughs> she's behind my laptop. So. Um, Stacy's point is a good one about though they you know I don't blame anyone for not going on Google in 1984 and checking up on Ravi because it didn't exist I don't think but um, I do blame people for seeing that his event ads are referring to himself as a doctor without using the customary honorary in it right, right. Um, and I do blame him for having his ad say he's chair of a department when. Uh, anyone who's affiliated with that school knows that there are no departments. Um, And I do blame him after 1990 for saying that he was a visiting scholar at Cambridge when everyone who was there at the time knew that that was all false. So um, yeah, you know, the lack of internet kind of sophistication back then covers some of it, but it doesn't cover the complicity of his senior Christian colleagues at the universities and the apologetics institutions where he was working. Um, So there's just no excuse for it. And I remain flabbergasted that he got away with this. It's like, Mm. don't Christians in academia care about credential integrity? They should more so than, you know, but obviously they don't. And there's a lot of money. And also, also Robbie's publishers. I mean, Zondervan, HarperCollins Christian Publishing. These are huge businesses. I mean, Zondervan's owned by HarperCollins, uh, HarperCollins um, and HarperCollins Christian, um, big, uh, big operations. They didn't care. I mean, they would p- repeat the lies about Dr. Zacharias and visiting scholar and Cambridge educated. Um, and nobody bothered that his, his author bio was bogus. You know, that's interesting. You can't get away with that in my atheist world, by the way. Yeah. If, if, if any yeah. Christians want to think that it's getting rough over in Christendom, let's move over to the atheist <laughs> world and BS people. Uh, we're pretty strict about that. You know? Well, sometimes in atheist world, if you're trying to operate as an environmental scientist and give yourself a moniker of an ev- you know evolutionary biologist, you know it's even it's even rougher. 
I yeah. mean, people hold your feet to the fire on this stuff. Well, you know, there's there's whole web. When I was researching Ravi initially, and uh, there's whole websites and chat rooms and bulletin boards online where people are people in academia are talking about whether it's okay to put a certain event on my resume. Yeah, I was invited by my own department to speak. Can I put that? On? Yeah, they really take this stuff seriously. Right. Mm-hmm. And Ravi gave the whole system the big middle finger, middle finger. for decades, and nobody said anything. At least nobody said anything publicly. No, nobody, nobody was talking about that at all. I mean, even if I would, if I would bring up your book or other things, people didn't want to touch it. Yeah. Now I want to go back. If you don't mind, you could take as long or as short as you want, but I mean, get us to you investigating this. You are a lawyer, you're a banjo player, but you are also studying like religion, Mm -hmm. you know, what got you into that? Well, I grew up in Southeast Asia around missionaries, and I was always impressed by the Southern Baptists missionaries. And there was a group called the Navigators that I, those were those were my idols. Um, they were good folks who were sacrificing a lot to go live in the small towns of Indonesia when they could have been back home leading much more luxurious lives. I really respected that, and I had a passion for figuring out whether Christianity was true. It was something that consumed me from age five to uh, to the present, um, uh, and uh, and when I when I moved to the U.S. and uh, was took religion classes, and um, then now I've been a longtime part-term graduate student at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, taking classes. And five and a half years ago, I found this brilliant apologist. I'm, you know, I believe if you're going to look at something, look at its best representatives. And right. there was this man named Ravi Zacharias who had. Um, was not only extraordinarily articulate and charming, but he had Oxford and Cambridge credentials. And I and I very well remember him making an argument about fulfilled prophecy in the book of Daniel. And I don't need to go into the whole thing, but um, I was floored. I said, this guy's got the credentials to uh, to deserve being looked into. And so I looked into it and I found that his argument was presented in a fairly dishonest way. I don't want to, I'm not an expert on when the book of Daniel was written, and, uh, but I do know that it's hugely controversial, yeah. and Ravi did not give any hint to his college kid audience um, that Daniel was, that a lot of scholars think Daniel was written after the prophecy that Ravi loudly proclaimed to that auditorium Daniel had prophesied about. It was about Alexander the Great. Right. You know? And Ravi said that he Daniel predicted Alexander and he ran off a whole bunch of things about Alexander that only God could have told Daniel and that this was taken as indication of the existence of God. And then I discovered that, well, a lot of mainstream scholars, in fact, the vast majority of mainstream scholars now say Daniel was written a couple hundred years after Alexander the Great. And I don't care when it was written. It was dishonest not to disclose that it was controversial it's an it's a charismatic evangelical talking point fulfilled prophecy in daniel yeah. but if you're going to make that argument and present yourself as a polished academic at least let your audience know that there's a lot of controversy about the dating so i'm not saying that's a big deal i'm saying it was a protocol breach that a real scholar from oxford and cambridge would probably not do and that's what got me looking into Ravi, um interesting his credentials and that then led me to this guy doesn't have a doctorate this guy carefully words his website bio so that you can't tell that his doctorates are honorary. Um, 
And then the whole Cambridge and Oxford thing came up and, and a whole bunch more. I mean, Ravi, if, if it's an oppressive thing that Ravi Zacharias claimed about himself, it's almost certainly a lie. Mm. Really, I'm not trying to be a jerk. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying it's astonishing to me how much of this he lied about and got away with. Now, you when when your emails come to me, it's a banjo Zen, Zen so banjo. You, right. Zen banjo. Um, so St- St- Stacy and I have been um, we've committed to doing uh, to sitting Zazen for Lent. So we're we're like really mixing the game up. Are you actually interested in Zen, or is this like Zen and the art of motorcycle ma- maintenance? I'm a very bad Zen. A very bad book. I can read the character ab- above your head there. Okay. <laughs> Chinese, but I'm, I'm really not a serious, I, I can't say I even have a serious spiritual life. I'm very interested in the whole aspect of Zen that starts with a blank slate and avoiding all assumptions. Just, right. just be. And don't worry about contradictions because you're just going to mess things up by trying to fix them. Um, so I'm really interested in that, but I can't say I have any serious knowledge of it or any kind of practice. Um, I did do a, a, a DVD a few years ago with a with a Zen Buddhist monk, um, a, an, an institutional. I mean, this guy is a hardcore celibate, uh, doesn't vegan, lives in the monastery, and um, he who also happens to love the banjo and sees the <laughs> contemplative value <laughs> of good. banjo. So we did a we did a DVD together, an instructional called. Um, um, Zen banjo um, m- 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 mechanics and mindfulness, or whatever it was called, Zen banjo, where we talked about breathing and and uh, being relaxed while you're playing the banjo. So the banjo gets a lot of jokes made about it, but it's a very deep, can be a very contemplative, intense instrument to play. I I really am excited. I I told Stacy that over the summer I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up your stuff on um on the finger uh, fingering for guitar because I Stacy okay. got me for Christmas a little classical guitar and uh, oh nice um I do think that there's something to that anyway so that's a the side issue but I'm I'm really I, I will uh, on our show notes at protectionnoggin.org we'll we'll link to all this other stuff because uh, for folks who are interested in that sort of thing Steve you're like a you're like a Renaissance man that has these little like little points that are hard to connect but they're just delightful to us because we love this stuff <laughs> music uh you know your investigative journalism and then and then uh, i don't want to take us too far afield um i want to respect your time but um i'm really uh, very interested in what you do with respect to helping people that are seeking asylum uh, in, in immigration oh. law i i uh, i'm the chair of uh, history and political thought a lot of our students here at concordia that do this want to go into international law for some reason and um I'm just curious. Do you have any tips for folks that that uh, are interested in that sort of thing? And which sort of thing, though, international law versus uh, immigration, or well, I think both of those sorts of things. You know, they're interested in the human rights aspect. You know, um, and and especially yeah. like helping people from um, you know persecuted minorities in in around the world for immigration. Yeah. Well, I can I can tell you that I don't know what concrete good one does going into international law itself. I mean, maybe there's a lot of good that comes out of it. I mean, I'm really glad it exists. But if you're an idealistic uh, young person just getting out of law school and you go into international law because you want to help out, you may spend your whole career not wondering, not knowing if you've ever done any good. Mm. Whereas if you go become an immigration lawyer and do political asylum, you know, just yesterday I took a family into the asylum office and uh, one of their parents had been arrested and three months later, the Chinese police called and said, come pick up the body. 
Um, mm. And you, you get to guide people through that sort of a process, uh, people who really need to be reassured and they need the paperwork done properly and they need a lawyer to present their case properly. And when those cases are approved, you have immediate gratification. It's, mm. it's, a, very, it's a very rewarding thing most of the time. Um, so there, those are two extremes sort of on the human rights stuff. Yeah. Well, well I think it's very Geneva, helpful. I don't, I don't know what you're going to do in Geneva. That's going to actually stop a single act of torture, but it's probably really good that there are those laws mm. or you go work in the trenches of some country with decent asylum laws and, and help people not get deported to places where they're going to, going to be tortured. So, you know, and that's what I do. Yeah. And I represent a lot of Christians and Muslims. That's mainly what I do. My specialty is China. That's pretty much you know, 95% of my law practice is that. <clears throat> is the Uyghur situation in China as bad as, as we think it is from the outside? It's, it's horrible. Um, and it probably gets exaggerated. I mean, <clears throat> you know, um, I have a, uh, yeah, I, but yes, it's horrible. This, even the State Department two weeks ago called it genocide, mm. uh, and they don't do that easily or, or lightly. Um, it's China's an absolutely brutal government. I was there a year. I was there like right before the Wuhan virus started. Really, twenty nineteen. I think I was there <laughs> in October or November, um, and I'd studied in China as a as an undergraduate, and I was just as and I hadn't been back since. So that was eighty. Last time I was in China was 85. Wow. I went back in 2019. I could not believe how much it had improved. So the, mm. the government gets a lot of credit from me and from a lot of people for, you know, mud, mud huts that I drove by in trains 30, whenever that was, ages ago, um, now have fancy car, fancier cars than mine and satellite dishes next to them. Mm. So there's really been a lot of improvement that way. But the political, the human rights situation is absolutely horrendous. I mean, I think every police station in China has um, cattle prods for torturing suspects. Mm. And they just, I've heard too many stories about the nasty, violent stuff that goes on in the, in the police station, you know, tying people up to the electric heaters, um, um, beating them, um, not, not telling their families where they are, um, people disappearing in the family, having no idea what, whether they're even alive, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I have grown men crying in my office because they don't even know whether their mother's alive. This is the Chinese Communist Party, the official government. Xi Jinping comes and smiles and presses the flesh here in the United States. That's the kind of guy he is. So it's extremely bad. And I don't see any change in, in, the, in the foreseeable future. Not immediately. And so here you are, you've got this very, may I say, Christ-like spirit towards those who are least the lost, the suffering, those who Christians are supposed to be looking out for. Almost to the extent I'd say, whether if you, you can either take a tongue-in-cheek or with great sincerity, in the last judgment, you know the parable, there are the sheep and the goats, and there are those who say, hey, no, that's not me. And then old Jesus says, hey, Steve, <laughs> you're my guy. <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> I'm a Christian. Yeah, come on in. Right. And yeah. then there's these other people with the, the, the logo and they've got all the right. They got all the right uh, connections. And yet people are suffering. And this is really where where our heart's at, Steve, is that, you know, I think that even when nobody's listening, there are people in the scenes. There are students that I know. I and mean, we got into this conversation, Stacy and I, because for 20 years, I'm realizing that I 
I nobody wants to talk to me about the history of, a, you know, epistemology in the 16th century. They start with that, but they come in saying the system that that creates a world where something like the Ravi Zacharias scandal can happen has very painful real world results in their lives. Mm-hmm. The same world that refuses to look at Ravi Zacharias because he's a celebrity doesn't look at the abusive medium celebrity that is their youth pastor or their celebrity pastor at their mega church. And we've been seeing this over and over again. This very day, four hours ago, the, the uh, RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries Canada, closed. I think it's a really important story. I mean, I get, I used to get so many emails from people, Christians, Ravi defenders saying, he's dead, let it go. And it's no longer about Ravi Zacharias. This right. is about the system that enabled him. This is about celebrity fetish that the evangelical world has and that the leaders play on. I mean, the evangelical leaders need these celebrity, these, these charismatic narcissistic men to come in and entertain and get butts on the pews and sell books and, and make this a sexy thing to market. There's an astonishing amount of money in God Incorporated. And you need people, you need the celebrities like Ravi. And the problem is that when they go wrong, which narcissistic men often do, um, the people around those men are so invested in their being, in their success that everyone wants to suppress it. I mean, we see this with probably really nice people at RZIM. You know, you've got Vince Vitale is probably a good guy. Abdu Murray is probably a good guy. Um, as Sarah Davis's daughter is probably a good, a good person. I don't know. Um, but uh, when Ravi went wrong, they turned the other way. And then when he went really wrong, they didn't just turn the other way. They actively enabled him. Mm-hmm. You hear Abdu Murray, one of the lawyers at RZIM talking about, let's engage this ex-cop friend of mine who doesn't have a light touch to interview these victims. You know, that sort of quasi-mafia sort of talk, that becomes the, 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 the default way to handle crisis because those folks need Ravi to be clean. They've invested years of their lives. If they don't keep making money through RZIM, they're going to need to go get jobs somewhere with their <laughs> theology degrees, right? Yeah. Good luck with that, folks. You better damn well hope RZIM stays happy and healthy. And that means covering up for Ravi's um, really, really nasty conduct. And there's the system. We could have just, we'll just, we'll just delete all of our first season. <laughs> you just nailed all of the sociological yeah. and economic factors. And it's real. That's why we care about it. That's why we should care about it. All of us, because this is, it's kind of like for me, when, when, I, when I write or spend time on Scientology, I don't say that Scientology is a real threat to most people. It was to like my dad's generation. Um, it was to some friends of mine in LA. But for the most part, you don't run into Scientologists. You run into evangelicals. Um, and, and yet it's illustrative. So what, what is nice about Scientology is it helps you to kind of see how this works at the sociological level and the individual psychological level. Ravi Zacharias is not just some example. It is a really painful but instructive lesson, you know, case study in, in how this works. Let me case ask you this. Study, absolutely. He's a case study. He's a paradigmatic case study. This is something yep. that should be studied. Uh, I had someone talk to me earlier today, and I talked to someone in England a few days ago 
who people who are collecting documents on the inside of various organizations. I can't talk about it in detail, but there's a lot of email out there that should be making Ravi Zacharias people really, really nervous right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole archive. It's just sort of spread out all over the place, but there are emails and all sorts of exchanges that show a good bit of complicity um, on the parts of the institution as a whole. Big name evangelicals who I who you would know if I mentioned them were pretty active in covering up for Ravi and were repeating his lies and even f- expanding upon. I've heard today from the, the an email from a major pastor who was. Uh, taking one of Ravi's talking points and making it sound even worse than it was to defend Ravi, who was going to be preaching at this guy's church. So there's a lot of stuff to be told about how the Christian business world, and by business world, I'm talking about churches and apologetic business business of church, Mm -hmm. yeah, as well as uh, publishers and and whatever trinket sellers, whatever the indulgence sellers. um, There's a lot of uh, evidence of uh, extensive uh, cover-up and commitment to keeping Ravi looking clean. And that's really the big story. Well, and then you wonder, you know, so what, you know, what sorts of demons do these other people have in their closets that they wouldn't just kind of renounce all of that and want to walk away from it, you know, or, or, you know, what I don't, I, if you think that you care about the ministry or, you know, Christianity or something um, and that that may be why you don't, you know, reveal everything about Ravi, but once it, once it is known, like where you can't, you don't, there's no credibility anymore. Right. And if you were ever in that camp, so I don't, it's just, it mystifies me that anyway, it, it, you know, it's sick (laughs) and that this does need to be, uh, you know, just, done with you know out of the whole the whole christian world the cleansing is partly yeah. is partly then taking taking us to even a more i think painful or or problematic aspect which is the way so okay people could turn a blind eye people could cover it over but you didn't receive a lot like necessarily a lot of fan mail can you maybe maybe just give me one or two examples of of negative responses i mean how how oh. like you know how bad did it get well, if, if I'm, I'm glad you're asking that question because I'm hoping that someday some sociologist or psychologist of religion person goes through my, I have a, a YouTube channel called Friendly Banjo Atheist where I have a bunch of videos on, on Ravi. Troll through the comments section and you will see the most vitriolic, angry, stupid stuff from Ravi fans. And it's a treasure trove of what those folks are like in the trenches of social media. It's a goldmine. Someone really, I'm not going to do it. It's not my field, but someone should do that. You know, take three hours and go through those things, print them out, screenshot and study them. These folks, I've probably had over a thousand people engage me on social media. I haven't done the numbers, but I'd say it's probably that or more. I don't remember a single intelligent comment from a Ravi defender with one exception very, very early on. And that wasn't even social media. That was on a Christian philosophy blog. Um, That was so apart from that, zero intelligent comments from Ravi Zacharias defenders. These folks really could not lucidly form an argument. They can't they they can't think straight and they respond the the ad hominems i i'm an atheist 
I have no more changing the subject from Ravi lying about Oxford or Ravi abusing women in the spas. Uh, they wouldn't want to deal with the, the facts. They would change it to, well, you're an atheist, therefore your moral views have no grounding. So we don't care what you say, which is really stupid. It's like, yeah. if, you know, if, if your neighbor, if your atheist neighbor yells over one night and says your house is on fire, you don't say, neighbor, you're an atheist. You have no moral grounding. I'm going back to sleep. Right? <laughs> don't buy but your evidence. This is the kind of, this is the level at which Ravi Zacharias fans think. And it's extraordinarily ironic, given that their guru prided himself on this widely successful radio show called Let My People Think. <laughs> it was, it, it, it's a really powerful commentary yeah. on how banal popular Christian apologetics are that the consumers of their products can't think a straight thought. Check it out. Don't take my word for no, it. It's astonishing. I, and, and that's why, like, I mean, even, even up till this last week, I mean, I understand that maybe before, if it's, you know, just your word for it, not, it's not hit the, the mainstream media. It's not hit even Christianity, Christianity today yet. And I just remember seeing you, you, you do a really good job of this. Read the report, <laughs> read the report. You know, you just kind of have to cut and paste, read the report because these cats, they're already demonizing you and explaining away whatever it is the allegation is before they've looked at it whatsoever. I mean, that's to me the thing that's most interesting. And dear students, if you're a listener and you're one of my former students, and you're thinking about grad school or you're in grad school. Uh, Steve has got a good idea for you because that is some solid uh, research. It's right there for you to just download and print out. Yeah, it, it's great original research, and these folks are not pulling any punches. They're they're bearing their really unsophisticated, angry, um, dumb, uncharitable, <laughs> souls. Yeah. uncharitable souls. Right now, now the other thing is, Jeff, it it really wasn't so much that uh, it was my word against somebody else's because I. I didn't have it wasn't your word access to this stuff. I anyone can go email Cambridge and say, was Ravi a visiting scholar there? Do it yourself. I mean, I had the I had the emails posted on my website and I was, you know, so it wasn't like I was claiming uh, that I have privileged access and you guys should just trust me on this. Um, but people would were much more comfortable just hurling insults and dismissing my motives than actually doing the dealing with the facts. And that's one of the most noteworthy aspects of this whole Ravi Zacharias thing, how fact averse hmm. his fans were from the beginning. Now, since the book, and maybe you can't, maybe there's things that you're, you can't disclose or discuss, but what, what are the big takeaways from what we've learned since your book was published? I want everybody go check out the book. We'll get, go get it on Kindle. You can read it tonight. But uh, since then, Catch us up. Just make sure, if, if you don't mind, just kind of to kind of summarize, where have we been since that publication? Okay. The, the, the really big thing, and sad to say, the thing that the, it took this to bring Ravi down and his whole ministry is now sinking. Um, the credential stuff didn't do it. His federal lawsuit didn't do it. Um, and when Ravi died in May of 2020, I was getting ready to wash my hands of it. I was planning on writing up my final story and bidding the whole thing goodbye. A few days after he died, I was contacted by a woman who said, I worked in a spa that Ravi owned and he was a sexual pervert. Mm. And I found her credible, but I, I couldn't release that because I didn't have any 
evidence and I'm so hated in the Christian community. I wasn't going to just, um, I didn't want to be in that. He said, she said, just trust right. me on this kind of thing. But I was able to confirm. And I spoke to another woman who told me the exact same thing that Ravi was sexually um, abusive, um, exposing himself, asking them to touch him, et cetera, et cetera, the gory details. And then one day here at the office, I got a call from a guy named Anurag Sharma saying, I'm the friend of Ravi's and I want to talk about him. Mm. Um, so I talked to him and uh, he turns out he was Ravi's business partner in the spa. And wow. he called me. And he, didn't want to, he didn't want to talk about Ravi. He wanted to talk about spiritual stuff with me. But at the end of our conversation, I asked him, before you go, do you know anything about Ravi being in the massage business? He said, I was in the massage business with Ravi. And he gave me proof of that. And that gave me that what I needed to uh, a Christian colleague, uh, I brought a Christian colleague in to interview these witnesses so that it wasn't just hmm. atheist me, it hmm. was a rep reputable Christian who was interviewing them also. And we decided rather than break the story, me break the story, we'd give it to Christianity Today magazine. Hmm. Um, and I told the, the, the reporter there, take the story, it's better if you break the story than if I do, because you got the creds and the, and the, and the, the, the numbers. Um, and uh, but I told him I, I reserve the right to give you 48 hours notice if I think you're sitting on it too long. Mm -hmm. Anyway, turns out Christianity Today decided to do a real thorough investigation and it took longer than I wanted. So I called the guy and I said, I'm going live with my video in 48 hours. And then I did. So I guess that was September 5th or something. So the video came out um, with, the, with the spy information and it caught on fire and the press, the Christian press started really investigating. And it was like an explosion of bad stuff about the underworld of the Ravi Zacharias private life. And then, of course, with the Miller report coming out a week and a half ago or so, um, we now know that he was an out of control sexual predator and that people in his ministry knew that or certainly should have known that. Um, they did know it. But those that didn't, many of them should have noted, noticed that. Um, so uh, the spa thing, his sexual practice, and the big story that I'm interested in is the human trafficking element to this. Because Ravi, one of the, the people who I spoke to on, in connection with the spa video was a former Southern Baptist Convention president, Johnny Hunt, who told me that Ravi brought women in from India to work in the spas. Now, as an immigration attorney, I can't think of a way to get a legitimate visa for a, 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 a person from Southeast Asia or India to come work in a massage spa in the U.S. unless they're extraordinarily qualified. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think Ravi and his people lied to the U.S. immigration authorities to get visas for these women. And we now know that at least one of those women was his traveling, you know, well, let me, let me back up. It's extremely likely that those women came to the U.S. to service him sexually, among other things. So this is immigration fraud for purposes of sex trafficking. And Ravi would not have been the one filling those applications out himself. He would have needed help from his ministry, from one of the religious, religious organizations he founded. Um, so there's some heavy-duty complicity, I think, in immigration fraud and sex trafficking. Wow. Uh, so that's, that's Was the this story the fourth? That I 
This is the fourth shoe that you were talking about a few days ago. I didn't know what the fourth <laughs> shoe was going to be, but I, I, think, I thought the fourth shoe would be Southeast Asia. And it turns mm-hmm. out that was a big part because I'd heard for a couple of years that Ravi had been a very out of control guy sexually in Southeast Asia, but I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Right. So, um, so I wasn't surprised about that. But the immigration fraud thing did surprise me. And fascinating that you know a thing or two about this. Are you going to maybe, I'm not telling you you should, you're just free to go do something more fun, but are you at all interested in uh, updating and and coming out with a second edition of your book, you think? You know, I'm probably not going to do that. I think there are, I'm encouraged that there are people behind the scenes who have access to the the good documents, Mm -hmm. the, the people who have... Yeah. So you, you're part of the story. Yeah, you're part of the story. You're a catalyst for it. And we thank you for it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and really, this is not because and I like it. You know, you're not you didn't come in. I mean, part of the reason we wanted to look at your your backstory. You you were genuinely interested in what these missionaries were up to. You genuinely wanted to to understand. It. I mean, you know, we Stacey and I do this all the time. Like, all right, let's see what uh, this this uh, transcendental meditation guy is into. I mean, it's it's fascinating if you're a curious person. You know, I mean, heck, I read the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, well, I, I think chloroform in print is is what uh, Mark Twain said. And I, you know, I just, so it's like, you know, I go, you, you go in, you, you come out with your assessments. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. you, that curiosity leads to not a dead cat, but to uh, at least, you know, helping out people. And, and, that, and that really is when we say thank you, we thank you yeah, for that. Because absolutely. we know that, as I was trying to say, there's students that we've had that say, does nobody care? There's the thing that's worse than than the harm sometimes is is the idea that the whole world couldn't care less. Well, I, I hope that I hope that the story uh, you know, uh, that it doesn't just turn into a a, a bloody takedown of yet another right. preacher. That right. this we've had that before provokes some serious systematic uh, change and self reflection on the part of evangelicals as an institution. Um, I'm really hoping that happens um, because. Otherwise, it's just going to, yeah, it was, it was great. And Ravi's gone and there are a zillion Ravi's uh, out there anyway, and a bunch more waiting to fill the vacuum that he's going to, he's going to create. So, you know, we have to hope that, that they, that it gets a discussion going. Yeah. That's one of our worst nightmares. Yeah. (laughs) Who's next? But because of this, as we start getting, getting practice on it, you know, this is, that's what we're doing. Lessons in outfoxing religious wolves. Uh, Thank you again to you and to the rest of you listeners. Peace upon peace. Uh, Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter no too much.